We're going to be learning in Chidusha Abinu Chaim HaLevi, the first piece in Hilchus Nizke Mamon. This is Perak Dalit, Halacha Dalit. And this is the beginning of the last section of the Sefer. We're now done with the Tuma and Tahara section. And this begins now a section that's going to mostly focus on civil and financial laws. Now, this specific piece is somewhat famous for a technical reason, because as we'll see, the halacha that Rab Chaim's explaining, the Rambam himself wrote in a tshuva that it was a typo. So according to the Rambam himself, there is no such halacha, but still Rab Chaim explains it. So it emphasizes that Rab Chaim was not that interested in textual issues or in historical or bibliographic issues. Rab Chaim was very much focused on the conceptual understanding of the text, to the point that he just ignores the Rambam's own statement that the whole thing was a typo. Now, the conceptual issue that Rab Chaim is discussing in this piece is what the responsibility is of a shomer, a watchman, who's watching someone else's property, their animal, and that animal goes ahead and damages someone, so the shomer is obligated to pay for the damages, and Rab Chaim wants to understand the nature of that responsibility. The Rambam writes, Hamos if someone gives their animal to a shomer, either a free shomer, or they pay them, or a renter, or a borrower, so the shomer is in place of the owners, they are now responsible for the animal, so if the animal damages, the shomer is obligated to pay, not the owners. So the shomer takes the place of the owners because they're responsible for watching the animal, and they have to pay for damages. Now the Rambam limits this halacha, This is talking about so far when the Shomer did not watch the animal at all. But if the Shomer did a proper good watching, the Yatsasa and still the animal got out and caused damage, so then the Shomer is exempt because they watched the animal very well, and the owners are responsible to pay. So this is a very strange statement. Why should the owners have to pay if the animal was watched? Now the Rambam continues, If the Shomer did a lesser watching, so they did not do a great watching, they did a lower level watching of the animal. So im shomer chinam hu pater, if it's a Shomer chinam, he's doing it for free, so then he's exempt. Vim shomer sachar o socher o shoel. But if it's the other types of Shomrim, either he's getting paid or he's renting or borrowing, so he has some benefit from this animal. So then the Shomer is obligated to pay if he did a lower level watching. Now, the Ravid picks up on the weak point in this halacha in the Rambam that if the Shomer did a great watching, why should the owners be responsible to pay? So the Ravid says, This halacha could only be if the owners knew that the animal had gotten out from under the watching. So if the owner found out that the animal was roaming free, he had gotten away from the watcher, so then they become responsible because they should have tried to prevent the animal from causing damage. And we find the same concept when it comes to a bore, a pit, which is owned by two partners. So if one of the partners knew that it was uncovered, so he becomes responsible because he should have tried to protect it. So according to the right, 
David, the only way to explain why the owners are responsible in that case is because they knew that the animal had gotten out and they still did nothing to protect the animal. Now, the Ravid continues and he disagrees with the Rambam. He says that he thinks in that case the owners are exempt. They're not responsible because since the Shomer did a good protection, so that exempts the owner as well. Then the Ravid continues and he offers a third perspective on this whole issue and he disagrees with the whole concept of the Rambam to begin with. The Rambam said that the Shomer takes the place of the owners. So if anyone is responsible for the damages, it's the Shomer, not the owners. And the Ravid disagrees with that and he says perhaps the owners are still responsible so they ultimately have to pay the damages of their animal and then they can collect those damages from the Shomer because the Shomer was the one that didn't watch the animal. So according to this view, the owners pay the Nizak, the person who was damaged, and then they get reimbursed by the Shomer. So according to the Rambam, the Shomer is responsible because it was his responsibility to watch the animal. And according to the Raivid, the owners are responsible because they own the animal, but after they pay for the damages, they then get reimbursed by the Shomer. So there's a few perspectives that the Raivid suggests. Now, the Magid Mishnah has a different explanation for this whole halacha in the Rambam. He says that we're talking about a short tam. An animal that has not gored three times is considered a tam. After three times, it becomes a muad. Now, one of the differences is a muad that was protected, the person is not responsible for damages, as opposed to a tam, where even if they guarded the animal, if it damages, the person has to pay. So the Magid Mishnah says the case of the Rambam is talking about a tam. So that's why even though the Shomer guarded the animal, if it damages, the owners still have to pay. So that explains why the owners have to pay even though the animal was protected because it's talking about a tam and that's one of the unique features of a short tam. Now, Rab Chaim comments that the Magid Mishnah is certainly correct that this halacha in the Rambam is talking about a tam because the Rambam at the end says that if the Shomer did a lower level guarding, so the Shomer Chinam, the free Shomer, does not have to pay, but the rest of them, if he's being paid or if he's renting or if he's borrowing, they all have to pay. Now, a muad, they obviously don't have to pay because they guarded the animal. So it must be talking about a tum. That's the only case where the shomer would have to pay for a lower level guarding. So the Magid Mishnah is certainly correct that this halacha is referring to a tum, but still the Ravid disagrees with the approach of the Magid Mishnah because he believes that even when it comes to a tum, the person only pays if they did a lower level guarding. If they did a proper guarding, so then even for a tam, nobody has to pay. So there's an interesting debate between the Ravid and the Magid Mishnah over this issue. The Gemara says that a tam has to pay even if he was guarded, which is different from other forms of damages where the person does not pay if they guarded the animal, but a tam they do pay. But now there's a debate between the Ravid and the Magid Mishnah as to the scope of that halacha. According to the Ravid, they only pay for a lower level protection, not a solid solid, proper protection. Whereas the Magid Mishnah adds that even for a proper, solid protection, even so the person has to pay for a tam. So now again, according to the Magid Mishnah, this could be the explanation of the Rambam, why
why the owners have to pay even though the animal was guarded because it's a tum. But according to the Raivid, that's not going to work because the animal was protected very well. So the Raivid said there's a different reason here because since the owners knew that the animal got out and it was no longer being protected and they still didn't do anything. So with regards to the owners themselves, the animal is not considered protected. So that's why they have to pay. So that's the debate between the Raivid and the Magid Mishnah, how to read this Rambam. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Kesef Mishnah has a totally different approach, and the Lecha Mishnah also takes this approach, and that is that this whole Halacha is a typo, and this is based on a response the Rambam himself wrote to the Chachme Lunil. They wrote to him a bunch of questions on Halachas all over the Mishnah Torah, and the Rambam responded. So they asked him about this Halacha, how does it make sense that the owners have to pay? And the Rambam said that it was a misprint. When the Mishnah Torah was first copied over, so this phrase, the owners are obligated, was put in the wrong section. It should have been in the next line if there was a weak, bad protection. So there the Rambam said, if he's a free watchman, then he's exempt. And there it should have said, and the owners are obligated. So it should not have said that in the case of a good watching. It should have said that in the case of a weak watching. So the Rambam himself said that this was a misprint. Now, Rab Chaim totally ignores this, even though it's impossible that he was not aware of this, even if he didn't know the tshuvas of the Rambam. But he certainly saw that the Kesef Mishnah and the Lecha Mishnah on this halacha quote that the Rambam himself said that it's a typo. So Rab Chaim was certainly aware of it, and still he totally ignores it. And that seems to be because Rab Chaim felt that even though the Rambam himself was saying that this was a typo, but still that was the version that the Raivit and the Magid Mishnah learned and interpreted. So there is an approach to understanding that. So Rab Chaim wants to understand the Raivit and the Magid Mishnah's approach in the Rambam, even if the Rambam himself did not have such a halacha. So back to Rab Chaim, he asks a question though on the whole interpretation of the Raivit and the Magid Mishnah, which is what does this halacha have anything to do with the context of the halachas the Rambam's discussing? The context context of these halachas in the Rambam is where the Shomer has to pay the damages because he's in place of the owners. So the owners are not responsible. The Shomer is responsible for damages. Now this whole case where a Tom damaged something and the Shomer has to pay works totally differently because another one of the differences between a Tom and a Muad is a Muad pays money. So if the Muad damages, the owners have to go to their bank account, take out the money and pay the Nizak. The Tom on the other hand, pays only from the value of the animal itself. So the owners do not need to take money from the bank. They pay only from the animal itself. And if the damages exceed the value of the animal, then they don't need to pay more than the value of the animal. So what's really happening in this case where a tom damages something is that the nizak collects from the animal itself. Now the owner lost value in the animal because part of the animal was paid in damages. And now the owner goes back to the shomer and demands reimbursement because the Shomer ended up losing the object that he was watching. 
So this is a totally different process. It's not that the Shomer is responsible for the damages. The animal itself is responsible for the damages, but the owner is able to collect those damages from the Shomer because he ended up losing the owner money and a Shomer has to pay when he damages the object that he's watching. So why did the Rambam put these two halachas together, the halachas of when a Shomer has to pay damages, and then he just inserts this new halacha in here that if it's a Tom, so then the owner can collect the damages back from the Shomer, which seems to be a different concept. So the Rambam seems to be mixing apples and oranges. So Rab Chaim says that there is a technical answer to this, which is that the Rambam felt that even though the Shomer is reimbursing the fact that the owner had to give the animal itself for the damages, since the whole situation came about through damages of the animal, which the Shomer did not watch. So that's enough to be included in the overall context of these halachas. Even though the payments work differently, in some of the halachas, the Shomer himself has to pay for the damages. Whereas in the case of the Tum, the animal itself is given over in payment, and then the Shomer reimburses the owner. But either way, they all come about through the animal damaging, and the Shomer ends up paying, so they're all grouped together. But then Rab Chaim tries to explain this on a more conceptual level. So this is based on the Gemara. If a guy borrows an animal thinking that it's a tum, and then it turns out to be a muad, and then this animal goes and damages. So So there's another difference between a tum and a muad. A tum pays half damages, and a muad pays full damages. So in this case, the Shomer can say to the owners, I intended to borrow a tum, which would have been half damages, not a muad, so I don't want to pay full damages. So the halacha is that the owner pays half the damages, and then the shoel, the shomer, pays half the damages that he would have anyways paid for a tum. So the Gemara asks on this, Why can't the owner say, if this animal had been a tum, like I thought I was borrowing, so then the damages would have been paid from the animal itself, and I wouldn't have had to pay money. So why do I have to pay even half? So the Gemara answers, Because the owner can respond to the borrower even if the animal itself would have been given over for the damages, but then you would have had to reimburse me for damaging my animal. So anyways, you would have ended up paying this money. So now pay half the money of the damages. So then the Gemara asks another question. There's still an argument that the borrower could make here. If it was a tom, so it's only half the damages, so that's called a knas, a fine. And the rule is that if someone confesses, they owe the money of a fine. So they're exempt from paying it. So the borrower could still argue if the animal was a tom, which I thought I was borrowing, so it would have been a fine, half damages. Then I would have confessed before the court obligated me to pay, and that would have exempted me from paying anything. So why do I even have to pay half in this case? Since it's a muad, I can't confess and get out of paying, which I would have been able to do with a tom. So the Gemara answers, The case of the Brisa is where the court already grabbed the money from the borrower. So in that case, a confession is not going to help him because the court already grabbed the money. But in fact, if the court did not take the money, then the borrower could make this argument that I would have confessed and gotten out of paying if it was a Tom, so I don't even want to pay half. 
So that's the Gemara. Now, based on this, Rab Chaim asks a question on the Ravid's third perspective that I mentioned earlier. And the way Rab Chaim understands the Ravid's view here is that the Ravid means to say that both the Shomer as well as the owners are responsible to pay for the damages. So in this scenario, there are two parties that are responsible for damages, the owner as well as the Shomer. But then the Shomer also has to reimburse the owner because he caused the damages to the owner's property as well by not watching the object that he was given. So there's three obligations going on in this case. One from the owner to the Nizak, one from the Shomer to the Nizak, and then from the Shomer to the owner. Now, if we put this into the case of the Gemara, so when the Shomer confesses that he owes damages, all he's exempting himself from is what he owes the Nizak, because since he confessed, so he doesn't have to pay in the case of Tom. But he's not exempting himself from what he owes the owners, and he's certainly not exempting the owners themselves, because his confession is not going to exempt what the owners owe the Nizak. So the owners are still going to need to pay the damages to the Nizak and then they're going to return to the Shomer and get reimbursed because he damaged their property that he was watching. So at the end of the day, the Shomer's confession does not accomplish anything because either way, he ends up reimbursing the owners for what they had to pay the Nizak and he's not able to exempt the owners. So why is the Gemara making a big deal about this argument that the Shomer could have said, if it was a Tom, I would have confessed and exempted myself when according to the Ravid's view, even if there was a Shomer, the owners are still responsible to pay the damages. So in this case, the Shomer's confession is not going to accomplish anything. Then Rab Chaim adds that even according to the second perspective of the Ravid, so this was where he disagreed with the Rambam who says that the owners have to pay. And the Ravid said that if there's a Shomer who did a good watching, the owners do not have to pay. So even according to that perspective, Rab Chaim says it's still a problem with this Gemara, because that all only applies to a muad where the payment comes from money. So there the owners are exempt because there's a shomer who is supposed to be watching the animal. But when it comes to a tam, the payment comes from the animal itself. And Rab Chaim understands that in a radical way. It means that the form of payment is entirely different between a muad and a tam. Not only does the payment come from the animal itself, but it's also not an obligation that can be transferred. In other words, there is no disconnected obligation to pay the damages of this animal that might not apply to the owner, but could instead apply to the shomer. You can't say such a thing when it comes to a tam because the whole concept of paying the damages of a tom is that this animal has to make right the damage that it did. So whoever owns the animal is automatically responsible for that process. So even the Ravid who says very strongly that in general when there's a Shomer, the owners do not have to pay. That's the second perspective of the Ravid. That only applies to a Muad because the obligation to repay can be transferred from the owners to the Shomer. But that does not apply to a tom, whoever owns the tom, which is the owners, is responsible for paying the damages of that animal, meaning from the animal itself. 
So if that's the case, then we're back to the same problem in this Gemara. What does it mean that if the Shomer had confessed, he wouldn't have to pay? His confession doesn't accomplish anything again because it doesn't absolve the owners from paying. Since he was trying to borrow a tum, so the owners would have still had to pay in that case. And then they would have turned around and gotten reimbursed from the Shomer for his damages to them. So even if the Shomer exempts himself from the payment in this case, he still has to reimburse the owners who did have to pay the Nizak. So again, his confession is not going to accomplish anything. So regardless of whether we take the second or the third perspective of the Raidid, either way, when it comes to the short tum, or even perhaps more generally, the owner's obligation to pay the damages is independent of the Shomer. So the Shomer's confession is not going to accomplish anything because it doesn't exempt the owner, and then he has to reimburse the owner. So why does the Gemara say that the Shomer could have argued, I wanted to confess in the case of a Tom and get out of having to pay? So to answer all this, Rab Chaim backtracks on the way he's been setting this up until now. So far, he's been saying that the way the process works is that the owners have to pay the damages to the Nizak, and then they turn around and get reimbursed from the Shomer for his damages to their property. Says Rab Chaim, that is not going to work, because if that were the theory of it, so then in fact the Shomer would not need to pay the owners, because this is not the type of damage that a Shomer has to pay for. A Shomer pays when he directly damages the object. In this case, he allowed the object to go ahead and damage something else. So now as a result of that, the owner had to pay damages. So the owner lost money as a result of the action of the Shomer. But that's not a direct result of the Shomer. It's not that because of what the Shomer did, the property of the owner was damaged. It's that because of what the Shomer did, the owner needed to pay, but that step in the middle makes it that the Shomer is not responsible anymore for those damages. It's too disconnected from the Shomer to force him to pay for the fact that the owner had to compensate the Nizak for damages. So the formulation Rab Chaim's been using until now is not going to work. Rather, it has to be that since the Shomer takes the place of the owners, so he is responsible for paying the damages. So that's the only way to say that a Shomer has to pay damages. It can't be that he has to reimburse the obligation of the owners. It has to be a direct obligation of the Shomer that he has to pay the Nizak for damages. And even if this is a short tum, so this was Rab Chaim's issue before, when it comes to a short tum, the damages are paid from the animal itself, which Rab Chaim understood to mean that there is no independent obligation of damages which can be transferred to a Shomer, the obligation is that whoever owns the short tom, which is the owners, have to pay from this animal. So how can you say that the Shomer is directly obligated in the case of a tom? So says Rab Chaim, but even so, when the owners give the Shomer, the animal, to watch, included in that whole process is that if this animal, which is a tom, damages, the Shomer is going to be obligated to pay from the animal itself. 
So part of what the owners give over to the Shomer is the obligation to pay from the Tom itself, even though they own it, but included in the Shomer transaction, becoming a Shomer includes also that if there are damages, even to the Tom, the Shomer is going to be obligated and he is going to pay directly from the animal itself, which is the Halacha of a Tom. So at this point, the way Rab Chaim understands this is that when someone sets up a Shomer, they give their animal to someone to watch, they're entirely giving over any responsibilities of Nizakin to the Shomer, whether it's a Muad or even if it's a Tom. So regardless, the Shomer is obligated to pay the damages. And for a Muad, he pays with money. And from the Tom, he pays from the animal itself. So Rab Chaim is not backtracking on this idea that the payment of a Tom is fundamentally different than the payment of a Muad. The Tom is obligated from the animal itself, whereas the Muad is obligated from the money. He's not backtracking on that fundamental concept. He's now saying that even though that is true, that the payment of the Tom is totally wrapped up in the Tom itself, it's not an independent obligation, but it can still be given over to the Shomer, and all the obligations of Nizakin are given over to the Shomer, so he has to pay it directly to the Nizak, and then the owner can get reimbursed by the Shomer, because now, in fact, the Shomer did directly harm the owner by losing his animal, or by losing his money because since the Shomer is the one that has to pay, not the owners, so the Shomer damaged the owner's property and he has to reimburse him. If the owners were the ones that have to pay, then they couldn't get reimbursed by the Shomer because the Shomer didn't directly damage their property. But now since the Shomer has to pay directly to the Nizak, so he did directly damage the property of the owner, so now he has to reimburse him like any Shomer that damages the property that he was watching. So all all of this is in the second perspective of the Raivid that the owners are exempt and only the Shomer is obligated. So Rab Chaim just explained that the Shomer is obligated to pay the Nizak directly and then the owners can get reimbursed from the Shomer for the damage he did to their property. So that explains why, according to the Gemara, if the Shomer confessed that he owes the money, so then in fact he removes the entire obligation, nobody has to pay, not the Shomer because he confessed, and not the owners because anyways they don't need to pay. So that's the explanation of this Gemara according to the second perspective of the Raivid, that if it was a short Tom, even in that case, the Shomer's confession could entirely exempt everyone from having to pay. Now, if we apply this framework into the third perspective of the Raivid, so says Rab Chaim, this will also answer the Gemara according to the third view of the Raivid, which was that both the owners and the Shomer are obligated to pay the damages. So Rab Chaim's question was, what does it matter if the Shomer confesses that he owes the money, even though he's exempt, but the owners are still obligated, and then they're going to turn around and collect the damages from the Shomer. So what does it help that the Shomer confessed when the owners still have to pay? Says Rab Chaim, now the answer becomes clear. Because the only time the Shomer has to reimburse the owners is when the Shomer had a direct obligation to pay the Nizak. But if the only obligation was the owners, so then the Shomer does not need to reimburse him for having caused the owner to have to pay the Nizak. So if the Shomer confesses to owing the money, so 
now he removes his direct obligation to pay the Nizak. So the only remaining obligation is the owners. So as a result, the Shomer also does not need to reimburse the owners. Because since he's not directly obligated to pay the Nizak, he only caused the owner to have to pay the Nizak. And for that, he does not have to pay damages to the owner. So by confessing, he in fact does get rid of all his obligations, both his direct obligation to the Nizak, as well as his obligation to reimburse the owner. So by confessing, he would have been totally exempt from having to pay anything. So that's what the Gemara says, that the Shomer could argue back, if this was a Tom, I would have confessed and I wouldn't have had to pay anything. Even though ordinarily, both the Shomer as well as the owners have an obligation, but the only reason the Shomer has to repay the owners is only because of his obligation to pay the Nizak. If not for that, he does not need to reimburse the owners for their own obligation to repay the Nizak. So that explains this line in the Gemara according to both perspectives in the Raivid. And now continues Rab Chaim, if we apply this idea, so then it will also answer his initial question on the Rambam. His question was, why does the Rambam include the Halacha that the Shomer has to reimburse the owner when a Tom damages together with the halacha that the Shomer himself has to pay directly the Nizak when it's a Muad. So now, says Rab Chaim, it becomes clear that these are the same halacha. The only reason the Shomer has to reimburse the owner in the case of the Tam is because he directly owes the Nizak the money. So when he pays from the Tam animal itself, it's the Shomer that's doing that payment. That's why he has to reimburse the owners. So that's the same halacha as the fact that the Shomer has to pay the Nizak directly when it's a Muad. Because if the owners were the ones that had to pay, so then the Shomer would not have to reimburse them when it came to Atam. So that's why the Rambam puts all these halachas together because the basic idea of them is all the same, that the Shomer directly owes the Nizak the money, whether it's a Muad, so then he pays him money, or if it's a Tam, so then he gives him the animal, but then he has to reimburse the Shomer because it's it's his direct damages that lost the animal. So that's why these halachas do all belong together on a conceptual level. Now, says Rab Chaim, this whole conceptual framework is in the Rambam and the Raivid. But Tosos in Baba Kama Memhei disagrees because he explains that the reason why the Shomer has to reimburse the owner if the Tum damages and he can't just say to him, well, you loaned me an animal, now I'm returning that animal, even though the animal is now owed to the Nizak, is because it's considered Hezek Nikar. Even though it's the same animal that he was given to watch that he's now returning, but since this animal is owed for damages, so that's considered a recognizable hezek. It's like the Shomer damaged the owners, so therefore he has to pay the owners for damages. So this is very different than how Rab Chaim explained it in the Rambam and the Raivid, where the Shomer himself has a direct responsibility to pay the Nizak, so that's why he has to reimburse the owners for their losses for the damages. So it comes 
comes about because the Shomer himself is responsible to pay for the damages to the Nizak. But Tosfos is taking the first approach that Rab Chaim had assumed, which is that the owners owe the money to the Nizak, and then the Shomer has to reimburse the owners because he caused him to lose money, like any time the Shomer damages the owner's property that he was watching. So the same is true in this case, since he caused the owners to have to pay the Nizak, so he has to reimburse the owners. So if that's the case, says Rab Chaim, we're back to the question on the Gemara. How does the Shomer's confession make any difference and exempt him from having to pay? Because his confession does not exempt the owners, and since they have to pay, so they can turn around and demand reimbursement from the Shomer, so even if he confesses, he still has to pay. His confession doesn't accomplish anything. So why does the Gemara say that the Shomer could argue, if it was a Tom, I would have confessed and gotten out of paying. So to explain this, Rab Chaim explains the conceptual basis for Tosvos's approach, which is that Tosvos holds that unlike the way Rab Chaim formulated it in the Rambam, that the Shomer has a direct obligation to pay the Nizak, Tosvos holds that that is impossible in the case where a Tum damaged. Because again, as Rab Chaim's been saying, when a Tum damages, the collection comes from the animal itself. It's not an independent financial obligation like other damages. It's just that this animal now needs to be handed over to pay for the damages. So that's a different concept within paying the Nizak. A Tom works differently. So if so, there is no way to say that the Shomer has to pay because he doesn't own the animal. The only people who could have to pay are the owners who are giving their animal as payment. But there's no way to say that the Shomer owes the money. So instead, Rab Chaim suggests that according to Tosfos, there's a very subtle distinction between who owes the money and who's responsible for the damages. Even though when it comes to Tom, as Rab Chaim just said, there is no way to say that the Shomer owes the money because only the person that owns the animal could owe the money. It's the animal itself that's the payment. But even so, the Shomer is responsible for the damages. So here we have a split situation. The Nizak collects the money from the owners, meaning he collects the animal itself, which comes from the owners, but that's to fulfill the responsibility of the Shomer to pay. So the one who's actually obligated in this damages is the Shomer. So according to Tosfos, even though we can't say that the Shomer owes the Nizak money because the money comes from the Tom, so it's only from the owners, but we can say that the Shomer is responsible for the damages in this case. Then Rab Chaim continues, and he has an even more radical formulation of this, and he says that in fact, when it comes to a Tom that damages, there are no payments at all. There's only damages, but there are no payments in the traditional sense. Meaning generally, if an animal damages someone's property, so the owners have to pay for the damages. In the case of the Tom, they don't need to pay because the collection comes from the Tom, the animal itself. Now, up until now, Rab Chaim's been saying that that's another form of paying for damages. Now, Rab Chaim formulates this even more radically, that there is no payment from the Tum. He says that either it's that they become Shutfin, partners, so the Nizak and the owners now own the Tum together. So it's not a payment from the owners to the Nizak, but now the Torah made them partners in this animal, or it's a Balchov, that the owners 
owe the Nizak money. So the Nizak becomes like the creditor. He's collecting from the owners what they owe him. But this is not a payment for damages. So this formulation of Rab Chaim takes this whole idea a step further. It's not only that the payment of the Tum works differently than other damages. It doesn't come from the bank account of the owners. It comes from the animal itself. Now Rab Chaim saying that in fact there is no payment. The Torah said that if a Tum damages, so now the owner and the Nizak are partners together in this animal, or alternatively, the owner owes the Nizak money, but there is no process of payment for the Tum. So if that's the case, then obviously the Shomer cannot directly owe the Nizak money because there is no payment. So the only collection of money in this case comes from the owners of the animal, but not from the Shomer. So based on this, Tosvos rejects the Rambam's idea that the Shomer owes the Nizak money directly. And that's why Tosvos explains the reason the Shomer has to reimburse the owners is because he damaged his property. Because since the owner either needs to pay the Nizak or in the second formulation, he now ended up with a creditor or a partner who owns half of his animal. So the Shomer created that situation. So because the owner lost half of his animal because of the actions of the Shomer, so the Shomer needs to reimburse the owner. So that's how Tosfos sees this halacha. So now that we understand the basis for Tosfos' approach, so says Rab Chaim, that explains the line in the Gemara that if the Shomer confesses, he exempts himself from payment. Because according to Tosfos, even though the owners are the ones that are financially paying, but the one who's considered a mazik, the one who's responsible for the damages, is the Shomer. Even though he's not paying, but again, within Tosfos, there's a split. The owners are the ones that pay, but the Shomer is actually the one that's considered the damager, the one who's responsible for the damages. So if the Shomer confesses that he owes the money, he can actually remove any obligation of payment, and that actually does exempt the owners from having to pay. So the Shomer's confession can exempt the payment from the owners, which is why he won't have to reimburse the owners for having caused them damages because they don't have to pay. And the way that works is that even though the Shomer is not the one paying, but he is the Mazik and the confession follows whoever the Mazik is. In other words, the Halacha that someone who confesses doesn't have to pay does not apply to the person who pays. It applies to the person who's obligated. So since in this case of the Tum, the owners were paying to fulfill the obligation of the Shomer. So the Shomer's confession removes the whole obligation to begin with. Now that there's no obligation, so the owners have nothing to pay. There's nothing for them to fulfill. So the Shomer is the key person in terms of this halacha, that if the Mazik confesses he doesn't have to pay, that applies to the Shomer and not the Baalim. Because when we have a split that one person is actually paying on behalf of the obligation of another person, so it's the person with the obligation whose confession is going to exempt them all by removing the whole obligation to begin with so that the person who would have had to pay has nothing to pay any longer. So that explains Tosos's whole approach that the Shomer does not directly pay the Nizak. The owners pay on behalf of the Shomer's obligation and then the Shomer reimburses the owners. But now that we understand the mechanics of how this works, so we understand that if the Shomer confesses, he gets rid of the whole obligation and then the owners don't have to pay. 
But says Rab Chaim, this whole interpretation of Tosfos is only going to work if we say that when the owners give the animal to a Shomer and it damages, only the Shomer has responsibility. The owners have no further responsibility. So then this whole interpretation makes sense that since the Shomer is the Mazik, the owners are not a Mazik at all. They're just the people that would pay. So the only Mazik is the Shomer. So if he confesses, he gets rid of the whole obligation. So it must be that when the animal damages, only the Shomer is responsible. Only he is considered a Mazik and not the owners. Now, this was a debate within in the Raivid, he had two views about this. One was that the Shomer alone is responsible, not the owners. And the other was that they're both responsible, the owners as well as the Shomer. So Tosfos must follow the view of the Raivid that only the Shomer is responsible, not the owners. But according to the other view, that they're both responsible, the Shomer and the owners, so this is not going to work. Because even though the Shomer confessed, so he removed his obligation to the Nizak, but that doesn't exempt the owners because the owners have their own independent obligation to the Nizak. And all the more so in the case of the Tum, where the payment comes from the animal itself, which is owned by the owners. So certainly the Shomer's confession is not going to exempt the owners from having to give the animal over as payment. So according to this perspective, it's clear that the Shomer's confession is not going to exempt the owners. And if the owners have to pay, then they're going to turn around and get reimbursed from the Shomer. So why does the Gemara say that the Shomer's confession makes any difference when anyways he and the owners are going to have to pay? So it must be, says Rab Chaim, like he explained earlier, that if there was no direct obligation for the Shomer to pay the Nizak, then in fact he would not have to reimburse the owners because he indirectly caused them to have to pay the Nizak. So it must be that if he has to reimburse the owners, there is a direct obligation from the Shomer to reimburse the Nizak. So as a result of that, when the owners pay, the Shomer then has to reimburse them. So that makes sense why the Gemara says that if the Shomer confessed, he wouldn't have to pay because since he got rid of his direct obligation to the Nizak, he no longer needs to reimburse the owners. So basically, the only way to make sense of this, according to the view in the Raivid, that both the Shomer and the owners have to pay the Nizak is to say, like Rab Chaim explained earlier, that the reason the Shomer reimburses the owners is because of his direct obligation to pay the Nizak. So again, this is going to answer the question Rab Chaim began with on the Rambam. Why does he seem to mix and match two different halachas? One is that if a muad damages, so the Shomer has to pay the Nizak directly. And the other is that if a Tam damages, the owners have to pay through the body of the animal. And then the Shomer has to reimburse them. So these seem like two unrelated halachas. One is about the Shomer paying the Nizak. And one is about the Shomer reimbursing the owners for damages to the property he was watching, which is the regular rule of a Shomer that anytime he damages the property he was watching, he has to reimburse the owners. Says Rab Chaim, now that we understand the basis of the halacha, so we see that these two concepts are the same thing. The only reason the Shomer has to reimburse the owners in this case is because he directly owes the Nizak. If not for that, then since this is indirect damages, the owners have to pay the Nizak for something the Shomer did, so he would 
would not be obligated to reimburse the owners if not for the fact that that was one of his responsibilities as a shomer to take care of the damages. So that is Rab Chaim's explanation for this Rambam. The key conceptual point that Rab Chaim develops is that when a shomer reimburses the owners for allowing their animal to cause damages, it's not that he's reimbursing them like a regular case where he damaged the property he was watching. He has to reimburse the owners. This is a specific halacha relevant to damages. So one of the responsibilities of the shomer is to pay for the damages of the animal while he was supposed to be watching it. So included in that is that if the owners have to end up paying, so the shomer has to reimburse them. So that's the way Rab Chaim explains that concept. Now, in addition, Rab Chaim reiterates throughout this piece another very important conceptual idea, which is that there's a key difference between the payment for a muad's damages versus a tom's damages. And that is on a very basic level that the damages of the tom come from the animal itself, as opposed to the muad, which is an independent obligation on the owners. Now then Rab Chaim offers a much more radical formulation of this, which is that there's actually no payment when it comes to a tom. So a regular animal that damages, the owners have to pay the nizak to compensate for the damages. When it comes to a tom, says Rab Chaim, there is no payment. Rather, the nizak becomes a partner in the animal with the owners, or he becomes a creditor to collect his debt from the owners. So that's a very important distinction and formulation that Rab Chaim makes in this piece. Now, in the back of the Or Olam edition, they quote a number of Sfarim that discuss this distinction, including the Or Sameach in Hilchos Gneva, Beis Aleph, as well as Rab Chaim's main student, Rab Baruch Ber, in the Birka Shmuel on Babakama Simon Zion. And in that piece, he's going through a lot of the ideas Rab Chaim discusses here, and he says that he came up with them, and then he was very happy to see that it was in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi. And there's a bunch of other Sfarim there, including Rab Shmuel Rezovsky in Babakama Simon Yodalid, and a bunch of other svarim. Now, another very important conceptual idea of Rab Chaim in this piece is that there's a difference between the person who has to pay versus the person who's responsible for the damages. So the chovas mamon, the person who's financially responsible, could be different than the chovas nizakin, the person who's responsible for the nizakin. So that's what Rab Chaim says, that the shomer is the mazik, even though the owners have to pay, the owners are paying to fulfill the Shomer's obligation. So that's a very interesting idea. And again, Rabbi Baruch Ber and the Berkash Shmuel on Babakam and Simen Ches discusses that.